0: Hey, we had a um, great time this weekend um, here, coming up here with the men, and uh, we got to experience some great teaching, some amazing testimonies, awesome food, crazy games, some some pretty great stuff. Lots of men, obviously in this church I know well. Um, Oh, thanks for the marshmallow. (laughs) Speaking of crazy games, you don't want to know. All right, so the um, uh, lots of men that I know, and then also getting to get some know some new ones. Uh, And and part of if if I look like I'm walking a little bit slower uh, a little more stiffly it's because we played about two hours of honey ball yesterday afternoon and uh, uh, back there in the corner breaking lamps and doing all kinds of fun stuff and um, uh, I Got to meet Sam and Ethan and Jacob Um, At one point we had kind of the the dream team going there Um, And then later Sam was on the other team and figured out how to break my serve, which was a bummer um, and then meeting Phil, getting to hang out by the campfire, uh, it, it really was a sweet time. Guys, it's probably going to just just assume about this time next year, somewhere around the end of January in 2025, um, will be the next men's retreat. I would say mark it on your calendar um, and don't miss it. Um, and then the women's retreat coming up. By the way, I, got to lo- I loved looking at the, I, I think, if am I right, the theme for the ladies for the women's retreat is a place where I belong. Is that the, isn't that the theme? That I think I saw up there. Yes. Anyway, yeah, the, the place where I belong. I'm very cool. The men's was entitled Mission Ready. Um, they're saying the same thing, but don't get them confused. Like, don't. Uh, that's 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 men's retreat versus women's retreat in in a nutshell, right there. Pretty pretty awesome stuff. So again, sign up for that. Be a part of that. And just as a side note, periodically, especially when it hits on the day, we like to draw attention to people's anniversaries that you go like, oh, they've made it that long. We ought to, I ought to get lunch with them and find out how. Um, but Ken and Linda Bates, I think Linda's back in the back somewhere. Wait a minute, Linda. They've been married 57 years today. So that's special. <clears throat> um, all right, so um, so we're, we are just really going into the book of Luke um, next stages, as we continue to dive in, Luke, if you'll remember, we heard some of the um, some from Paul, a little bit of the basics. We've done it a little bit in a weird order because we did Luke chapter 1 and into Luke chapter 2 during Advent and then Christmas Eve. <clears throat> and, um, uh, and, and then last week, Paul kind of did an overview. After we did that, Paul did an overview, a little bit of Luke, and some of the basic things and the themes. <clears throat> Sorry, a man <clears throat> like us. Luke was a Gentile convert, like most of us. Um, He was a great researcher, like we often are here in the West. We like to get the facts and get the details. Um, And a man who actually, not just a researcher, again, don't picture just some academic sitting in a room with a little candle and a quill and just writing, but in fact, uh, a man of God who traveled around his world um, as a missionary teaching people about this new good news from Jesus Christ, a good godly man, and that's hopefully that is true about us as well. Um, and we're going to get to see some fascinating details that are the result uh, must be of his research of the way he dug and continued to find out stuff. So I'm going to dive, but dive back into Luke chapter two, and we'll pick up there in verse one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered each to his own town. Now, we we unpacked this in detail on Christmas Eve. If you've got questions about it, um, I recommend going and listening to that first, and then (coughs) feel free to reach out. But uh, um, it's key to know that Luke is anchoring the life of Jesus Christ in real time and space. It's a big deal. Our natural tendency sometimes as Christians, especially if we're raised in the church, as we kind of equate the stories of the Bible with Mother Goose, or Narnia, or, or the Lord of the Rings, like it's, it's a great fun story that, that has a lot of fun little details. But this is Luke making it clear to us, no, no, Caesar Augustus was a real person, a real historical figure. So was Corinius and Bethlehem, Nazareth, Syria, Rome. These are real places. You can go visit them still today. This registration, it happened. These registrations were real things that people did back then. The Romans did. <clears throat> and this, regi- this one compelled people, apparently, to return to their hometown, their, at least their family heritage. We, we don't know exactly how this played out. Joseph's family is apparently from Bethlehem. And though he lives in Nazareth, which, by the way, is for them probably about a four-day walk. I'm walking all day every day sleeping out in the wilderness and then getting up and walking the next day for four days somewhere between 60 and 80 miles um, That they would have walked so for them that's four days for us That's a month month and a half uh, if we're lucky to walk at all So what do you do when the roman emperor says hey? You're going to get to walk 60 to 80 miles again If you're us you just lie down and die, but if you're them you walk that far Joseph says in verse 4 Um, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So once again, in case you don't know, in case you're a Roman, and you're reading this in Rome, and you're like, "I, I, I know generally a little bit about the area in Israel, that he's clarifying, like, listen, it's Nazareth, Nazareth. You probably never heard of it. It's near this region in Galilee. You've, you've maybe, maybe, you've never. You go. It's it's what you do constantly when you meet people around the country. Where are you from? I'm from Tyler. It's not far from Dallas. And they're like, oh, okay, again, because I, I know Dallas at least is in Texas. Like that's what, we do that just to kind of guide people. If you meet anyone from Michigan, right? What do they do? Right, exactly, the first thing, like, I'm right. Anyway, so that's the, if you've not experienced that, it's funny. So it's a real thing. Um, So Mary and Joseph were apparently both from the line of David and from the tribe of Judah. Um, It seems they were not yet at this stage officially married. Perhaps the census had gotten in the way of that. Perhaps her pregnancy had gotten in the way of that. Um, And the question that people ask is, why was Mary going as well? And the truth is, we don't know. There's debate over whether she would have been required to go don't want to step on that. (laughs) That looks important. Um, And so why did she go? So perhaps it was because her family, which just like Joseph's, was in the line of David, was from Bethlehem. We do know that. Um, And that probably, by the way, seemed important now. I think how important it would be for Mary to get in writing documented that this child she's carrying is in the line of David. That suddenly became very, very important probably to her. That In fact, that it was that her line was also in the line of David's, not just Joseph's. That might have suddenly seemed very important to her since she was, after all, carrying the heir to the throne of David. Um, Possibly she had to go because her family was also from there. That's a possibility. But also a really real possibility is that she just wants to get out of Nazareth. There's a real good reason to think that for the last six to nine months of her life, she has been treated as an outcast. We know that that from other passages we're going to see that that Jesus was presumed by the people of Nazareth to be the child of Joseph. So this whole conceived by the Holy Spirit story, that was not flying with the people of Nazareth. They didn't buy it. And so, so because they didn't buy it, they had apparently decided to be nice about this and just shun and shame her rather than execute her. Um, So this was a a big deal, but very likely she had been shamed and accused by her own family and her own community. Did she have to go? We don't know. But she went. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now again... We don't know exactly how this played out. We picture, because of movies and and kids' plays and stuff, that that Mary, that they came straggling into town just in time for Mary to give birth that night. Which, again, she just walked 60 to 80 miles. Maybe that's exactly what happened, um, no matter how far along she was. It's not necessary. We know they were there for days, maybe weeks, months. In fact, potentially up to a couple of years that they lived and stayed in Bethlehem. That would not have been strange, probably, for them. But this is a little fun opportunity for us to do some sleuthing. Back to our sleuthing idea. Do a little sleuthing to see um, maybe what was going on here. Let's see how complete a picture we can create about this account. So what we know is they are not in a house. Um, And you're going to hear a little bit more about what a house, what that meant for them uh, back then. The word here, no room for them in the inn. The word here, katalima means a lodging place, a place that breaks up a journey. Um, Most likely, it means something along the lines of a guest house or a guest room. Um, In the type of communities they lived in, there just would have been an empty house or an empty room that maybe (coughs) people would have stayed in, and in this case, there was not room for that. Um, It's an opportunity as we look at this. So, For example, Mark 14, starting in verse 13, we're going to look at this and we're going to spot this word again. This is Jesus talking about um, his just talking to his disciples. He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of that house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room? Katalima. Same exact word here. Um, that I may eat the Passover with my disciples. So, again, much more likely than our imagery of a medieval inn, right? This isn't the hobbits gathering at a tavern, um, you know, near Buckleberry Ferry. This is, this is a house. This is a house, whatever, that would have had these little um, homes attached to it, probably. And that's, that's what we're talking about. So, from the context clues, we're able to picture, maybe a little better, Mary's not in a house. And, in fact, they're not in a house, but they are someplace with a manger, A big clue. This is a big clue um, for where they are. So mangers uh, back in the first century uh, of Israel looked like this. This is a first century manger and from Megiddo. Now, for those of you who are new to South Spring or who are new to this teaching, I just want to apologize for this. I want to apologize for the fact that mangers weren't this high off the ground, made out of wood with little cross pieces on the end, because I know it hurts. Um, I know it makes you angry uh, that that's the case. Believe me, I've been there. I, I wrestled for a while with this. And I also want to give you permission. If it helps you, you just pretend Jesus' was made out of wood and it was that high, because it doesn't really matter. But this is what a manger actually looks like, which to me, the first time I saw one of these was like, oh, that looks a lot like a changing table. Um, it's actually a perfect place to put a baby. It's not like, it's not like the, you know, the, a manger would be a terrible place. It looks like it's nice and high. It's got little walls around it. They won't roll off. I kind of think it's okay now. Not super warm, but I mean, all right, that's, that's a, I'm a dad, pragmatic. So why would they not be able to stay in a house, the guest home, especially given that she's pregnant? Well, maybe part of it is there just was no room, but surely, I mean, someone's going to give up their space for the pregnant lady, right? There may be more to this story. In fact, we're going to unpack just a little more in a minute, some more about this. That'll be, that I think you'll really appreciate. But I think largely it was, there was no room For the woman pregnant out of wedlock in their house. There's no, we're not gonna bring the shame on ourselves of housing the shame, the shamed woman in our home. Um, We don't need that kind of shame added on to us. Her family's from Bethlehem, too. It's likely that no one wanted to include her or her shame or his shame in their family system. That's what shame means. If you've ever felt the feeling of shame, the feeling of shame is. Because of what I've done, I'm no longer worthy to be in normal society. I've been removed from normal society. I'm, something is, te- is telling people, don't speak to me, don't be involved with me, stay away from me. And that's, that's a horrible feeling. Um, and, and, and though it is a feeling that all of us feel, for us as Christians, it's not a necessary feeling because we do belong. Now, not just a manger, but also a place with swaddling cloth. Now, that's, an, that's intriguing. Did, maybe Mary brought her swaddling cloth. Uh, that's a very real possibility. Or maybe there just happens to be some there. Now, we picture swaddling cloth because we've now come to mean the thing you wrap a baby in. That's not what that means to us. That is not <coughs> always necessarily the case. So when we're talking about a swaddling cloth, what are we talking about? Well, let me give you a little sneak preview. So the high priest, when we picture the priest of Israel, we picture the high priest who was dressed like this. But understand, there's just one that looks like this. All the rest of them, the other thousands of them, would have been dressed like this, like the guy on the right. That's the high priest on the left. The guy on the right, they wore these white linen garbs. Now, they, they did some rough stuff, right? I mean, they were essentially butchers. And they carried around all kinds of equipment and heavy, heavy um, pieces of furniture and incense. And so those things wore out or got destroyed or, or got blood on them or, or things like that. And when that happened, in fact, the word swaddling cloth, the word we have there in the Greek, has the root of tearing in it. And what they would do is they would take some of these, part of what was done is they would take these cloths and tear them into strips. Again, more on that in a minute. So this has a lot of people assuming a barn or something, um, or something like that. uh, that, But I think there's a more intriguing theory that I think best matches the evidence that we have um, of a manger, swaddling cloth, and a birth in Bethlehem. And a few years ago, someone pretty much convinced me of another option, and I thought rather than me try to make the case, I would call her up. So Deborah, if you'll come up, this is Deborah Harder, and uh, guys... Um, she didn't know in the first service I was going to do this. But guys, um, you may have noticed Valentine's Day is like two weeks away. Um, that, that's right. It's panic time. So if you could get the picture. So Deborah owns Sterling Grace, which is up by Mardell. You're not going to go wrong, guys, with a quick stop in at Sterling Grace. Again, she didn't want me to do the, But, but I'm just telling you, it's, a, it's kind of my go-to. She'll, she'll, she'll affirm that. So go to, just tell. Okay, no, no extra charge. You, you've been warned. Thank you. All Thank you. Take a, it talk about this theory that we've unpacked before.
1: Okay. So, So Chris and I have had the opportunity to go to Israel several times, and I hope one day all of you get to go too because I promise you it will change the way that you read your Bible for the rest of your life. And when you sit in a service like this and Chris is reading scripture and unpacking some things for you, you will be like poof, mind blown because you've been there, you've seen it, and you have a greater understanding of it. And so I just want to kind of go back and we want to talk about the cave. Several years ago, just me being me and when words pop out, especially in prophecy and you hear that that the Messiah is going to come And it's going to be at the Tower of the Flock, and there's this place. Where is it? And so I spent quite a bit of time digging and trying to find the coordinates and get anybody to take me to a place called Migdal Eider, which is just on the outskirts of Bethlehem. But back in biblical days, it probably would have all been included. And the cool thing about this Tower of the Flock and Migdal Eider is that is where the lambs and a certain a certain kind of Levitical shepherds would have watched over this specific flock. And it was a flock because this flock was destined for sacrifice at the temple. Jerusalem was not very far, so this is where those lambs, you would have to have a lamb for sacrifice. It was twice a day, and then on the three major feasts of Passover, Sukkot, and Passover, shavuot they would have to everyone would be required as a jew to go and make sacrifice and so you had to have these perfect lambs for passover but you also had to have lambs that were unmarked unmarred and well cared for well this certain group of shepherds were very trained in being a levitical shepherd they knew exactly what was needed There was a preparation that had to be performed with these lambs. So they're in their tower. They're watching over their flock to see when when a mother lamb goes into labor. And they would pick up this lamb and they would take this lamb to a certain place. And it was a cave. And it was a cave that was ritually prepared for the delivery of these lambs. There would have been water. There would have been salt there would have been prepared swaddling cloths so that they could have wrapped these little lambs in it, and then in crevices in the inside the cave, you can see back in the back, inside that they would have laid them in there and they would have been nice and cradled so that they wouldn't have fallen out and marked themselves because can you imagine as a shepherd, and this is your job and your livelihood, if you would have had a perfect lamb and then you didn't prepare it properly, it wouldn't have been able to be used for sacrifice. So there was a lot that was involved in that. So going back to sweet pregnant Mary, here she comes riding into Bethlehem, or as has said, they could have been there for a while. And to no one, maybe it was because of shame, they didn't allow her to, to come into their home, but... As someone who's had a baby, can I just kind of put this out here? If you can imagine about the size of the ladies' restroom, cut it in half, and that would have been a home that they would have have rented or got to stay in. Wouldn't have been like the Marriott or even a Motel 6. It would have literally been a space on the floor that you were able to get. Now, as a pregnant woman, is that where you would have wanted to give birth? With tons of other people, maybe 10, 15 other people, everybody crowded in and you've got a little space or did it make a little bit more sense that possibly a cave prepared for such as that? Would that be it? Possibly. And that's what Chris and I got to witness and experience. And this is one of the caves. We don't know if this is the cave. We want to think it's the cave. It feels like the cave when we're singing away in a manger, especially when it's pitch black in there. But can you just imagine there's sheep in there having their their little lambs. There's these shepherds who know how to deliver the lambs and prepare them. What a beautiful, secluded, private place for Mary to give birth to the Messiah. And then to have the swaddling cloth. We know that the scripture also tells us that When Mary had conceived, her, her her cousin Elizabeth was also pregnant. So Mary went to go and visit Elizabeth. Well, Elizabeth's husband was Zacharias. Zacharias had served what probably was a back-to-back time um, in the temple. He would have served in the eighth month, which would have been his allotted time. And then when there was the feast, they were all required to serve. So can you imagine what his garment would have looked like? So when he returned home, that garment would have been too soiled to be used in, in the holy service again. So it would have been shredded up and it would have been used either for the wick to burn in the menorah, which is the light of the world, or it would have been used to wrap these little sheep that were being used for sacrifice. It gives us such a beautiful picture of what that could have been. So I think as a a mother, as a woman, I think if a pregnant woman had come to my home and stayed with me when she left, we would want to shower her with gifts. Can you just imagine that Elizabeth had this robe, had it already shredded, and that's what she gifted Mary with to take back, to go back, and to have for Jesus to have wrapped him in, and even the thought that John would have been swaddled in the very same clothes that Zacharias would have worn. What a beautiful and incredible picture that would have been. And so, um, like I said, Chris and I have had incredible opportunities to do that. I hope and pray that one day you all get to do that, and that you too would get to go to Israel, but continue to pray for Israel and all that's going on in Israel right now.
0: Thank you, Deborah, so much. Thank you. So you. Excellent. Yep. Thank you. Excellent. Right. Thank you. Yep. Great job. Yeah, there's something very special about um, a mom uh, like Deborah sitting in that cave with us explain, expressing this. That whole cave. Can you put the, put the cave picture back up? So this is what it looks like now. At the time, it would have been t- entirely plastered with white plaster and cleaned and made probably kosher. And so, that these, these, so it had been per, as clean as possible, as it, it had been a great place, especially compared to the other options. Again, they didn't have, uh, not only did they not have, a, they certainly didn't have a hospital to go give birth where the NICU could take care of baby Jesus if he's a little born early. This is, this is a great option. And, and, I, and again, I, years ago, I was convinced you would have found, there would have been swaddling cloth there. Um, if she hadn't brought it, there would have been some there. And if she didn't bring Elizabeth's, then you would have had that option to wrap them up. In fact, we, I think we have a shot of some of the swaddling, uh, the, the linen torn into shreds. And then what a baby laying in a manger wrapped up in the swaddling cloth um, would be like. You see you see the safety there and the, the up against the in the in that cave would have been a great place. For that. Now, we don't know that that's the case. But I think there's even more evidence that, that is fascinating to me. So, Here's what we get. Imagine that in your mind. Imagine all this picture. Verse 8 then takes us out of, the, of where the family is into the fields. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Okay, so let's lay the groundwork again. Shepherds lived uh, all day wandering around with their sheep, taking them to grass and, and water and all that kind of stuff, keeping them safe. Just a few sheep per shepherd. But at night, You didn't want to have to take care of all of your sheep, so they would build these sheep folds like this, um, and they would build these sheep folds, and the sheep would then, the shepherds would all bring, all of the shepherds would bring their sheep to one of these little fenced-in areas, and then if you can see down in the bottom right corner, or in the top right, which is an actual live one, um, you see the one shepherd there guarding the entrance. You would have had one shepherd, or maybe two or three, depending on the size, guarding the entrance, or a few around at different sheep folds. John 10 makes total sense when Jesus talks about being... The, the only way to, to appropriately enter the sheepfold is through the gate, for example. Could a human climb over? Yeah, but that, that's, they shouldn't be doing that. This is meant to protect them. Allow the other shepherds to then go to bed at night and get some sleep. And then what would happen is the next morning, there might be dozens and dozens of sheep in the sheepfold from all different flocks. And then, and then the shepherds would come in and wander and weave in and out of the sheep that all look the same to everybody that the shepherd would be singing or talking or quoting Scripture. And as they did, all the sheep who spend all day with that shepherd hearing his voice recognize his voice, stand up, and follow him out of the sheepfold. And then the next shepherd would come in and do the same thing. Jesus is referencing the fact that his sheep know the sound of his voice makes total sense in that context. So again, these sheep, many of these sheep, especially the one-year-old sheep, are being prepared for sacrifice or for Passover. <laughs> and the job of the shepherds, part of the job of the shepherds was to spot these, see them, find them, inspect them, and then help protect them. Again, this brings shadow and color to our scripture. It brings um, sight and smell and taste to our scriptures that we can see. It squeezes the mother goose out of our scriptures and makes it real life. Verse 9, while, the angel, while, the, while they're standing there uh, by their sheepfolds, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. Now ask yourself, why would these be signs? You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. Well, do you think they had to go door to door? I mean, Bethlehem's not, I mean, it's not a big town, but it's in the middle of the night. It'd be rough to go door to door, knocking everybody's, you got a manger, got a baby in a manger, maybe wrapped in some swaddling cloth. No, I think they knew where to go. They would go, oh, well, that's probably in one of our caves then. That's probably in one of the caves outside of the city limits, right there, right there, around there where we, where we keep the sheep. Maybe. I think that works very nicely. If it's not the case, it's fine, but... But then he thinks something like that. They seem to know where to go. Maybe they were guided. And it seems clear that the angel intends for them to go check this baby out. She, the, the angel gives them a very clear path on how to get there. Now, for years, and Paul and I have talked about this every time we go this passage, I have always been intrigued by the fact that, the first, that one angel shows up by himself first. And I've always wondered what that was. And, and I love this image of all of the angels of God, the hosts of heaven, the second person of the Trinity has been born on earth. The apex of human history has been reached. God has come to dwell with his creation, Emmanuel. This is, this is a shocking moment. And you've got the angels are just bugging God the Father like crazy. Boss, we... We got to tell somebody. You got to let us go tell someone. Like, this is, we can't just stand up here. And I mean, they're all, they're all jittery and ADD and like, come on, we got to, who are we going to? And, and, and God is saying, like, just hold on a second. I'm going to let you go tell some shepherds so they can go check him out, confirm, you know, he's everything he's supposed to be. But they're like, come on. Would you just, and then the God's like, okay, fine. And one of them is kind of cheating. He's like, bam, he's off, like as fast as possible. Getting ahead of the rest of the group. He shows up to the shepherds, and he's like, hey, don't be afraid. Got yeah, good news, great joy. And he goes as fast as he can, and he gets that message out. And that's what's, he, just in time for all the rest of them, like, <clears throat> all of a sudden the sky is full of these heavenly hosts. This is the Marine Corps band. This is an army that shows up suddenly filling the skies. But this is, this is the picture. This is a, listen to the language. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And by the way, born a Savior. Not, hey, someday this guy's going to be the Savior. He is the Savior. This is who he is. He is the Savior. Born a Savior. A deliverer. One who brings salvation. A rescuer. There are still those among the human race who deny that humans need rescuing. Rescuing. My assumption is that they must have never met a human. That's so what I've got to assume. They've, they don't know themselves. They don't know anybody else. If you've ever known any humans or spent any time with any of them or spending time inside of your own head, you probably came to the realization, I need help, right? And, if, and I know you need help, right? That's for sure. If I've ever acted with another one, someone needs to save us. We need a rescuer. We need a savior. And listen, I... I love humans. I think humans are amazing. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are treasure I'm such a people person. I love spending all day yesterday hanging around with all the guys like that is awesome to me It is not those aren't in contradiction with each other that we need a savior and that we're a a, a pretty cool people at times Those aren't in contradiction. I I think C.S. Lewis says it well when he describes being the son and daughters of Adam and Eve being a human is I'm paraphrasing here is honor enough to raise the head of the lowliest beggar and is humiliating enough to bow the neck of the greatest king. If you don't know that about us, I encourage you to get to know us better. Now, a savior, not just any savior, savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one. We spent a lot of time with this with Samuel, the anointed one, the one chosen for this, the one you've been waiting for, the prophet and priest and king. That's who has been born today in Bethlehem. That's good news. And by the way, his king, he is the king. He is Lord, Kareos, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the authority, the one who has promised to bring this to mankind. A couple of the commentaries reference the fact, and I love this, that they said, there just is no way to understand this reference to Lord without understanding that the angel is saying, Yahweh has come. Jehovah God has come. The creator of heaven and earth. God has come to live with us. He is Emmanuel. Now, he comes and makes this proclamation to the shepherds, and they're all making eye contact with each other. Like, what is this? What are we supposed to do with this? And at that moment, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go over to Bethlehem and see. Let's go check this out. Apparently this is worth seeing. Now again, there's so many passages in the Bible that I wish we had more detail about. I'd love to know how they left. Like in me, that's a moment that seems like one of those strange, awkward, like the angels are all there and they give their announcements and they're like, I mean, okay, that's all we got. Bye. And then just back into heaven. They came from heaven, delivered their message, and they went back up into heaven. I think that's an amazing picture. The heavens, the God is the God of heavens, the Lord of the highest heaven. The angels come from his throne and deliver that message. And then apparently they just go back. And the, and the shepherds go, well, let's go, let's go check it out. So you imagine a handful of young men whose job is to examine, fulfill their role to go check out this newborn, capital L, lamb. And again... How strange to be Mary and Joseph. She's just had a baby. The baby is wrapped up in swaddling cloth and is, has lay, been laid in this manger. And all of a sudden, a handful of young men, probably not much more than boys, just come wandering into the cave or the, or the bar, wherever they are, like, hey, um, an angel said we should come check out what's going on around here. Is there you, got, you guys happen to have a baby in here with it wrapped up? And what kind of conversation happened there? I can't wait to hear these details until they them filled in someday. And by the way, they left their sheep. So you go like, well, why didn't they stay and hang? Well, they, they couldn't. They had to get back to their sheep. Their sheep are out there alone now being risked. It's a, it's a scary thing. They can't do that. So especially if they show up in one of their caves, no way they could stay long. Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I want to stop and draw attention to this. They told others. Dare I say, they invited others into the story that they had been invited into by the angels. They served as a witness. This is one of the great themes of Luke, is this idea of witnesses, testifiers. I'm going to start unpacking that next week a little more. You may have noticed, if you leave, um, going out to 69, that there on the left is a sign that says, um, go and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. But do you know that story? Do you know what's going on there? So quickly, a segue. In Mark chapter 8, a great crowd has gathered the great crowd has been listening to Jesus teach for three days, and they're out of food. And Jesus calls his disciples and tells them to get them food. And the disciples are confused. How could we possibly feed so many? Jesus asked the disciples, who you remember are a traveling group of people, so they have food with them. He asked the disciples, how, many, how much food do we have? And they say, seven loaves, seven small loaves. Now you're thinking, no, no, Chris, it's five loaves and then two fish. Well, you're thinking of the feeding of the 5,000, which, as Dr. Bob pointed out years ago, is probably more like fifteen to 20,000. This is the feeding of the 4,000. You may not be aware of the fact that there's a separate one, not the same time and not the same place. They're similar in some ways, as you just heard. So let me explain. In Mark chapter 7, this is not in the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. Mark 7.31 says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. This, ladies and gentlemen, is pagan country. These are not Jews. These are Romans, Greeks, and barbarians who lived on the eastern bank of the Jordan, especially in these ten Deca cities, Paulus, Decapolis. So why would 4,000 Men, plus women and children, gather to hear a Jewish rabbi speak. I'm glad you asked, because it's the point I want to make here. Jump back a bit to Mark chapter 5. Here Jesus meets a demon-possessed man, and possessed of so many spirits, they call themselves Legion. The man was a terror to his community, living among tombs, attacking people with supernatural strength. Jesus frees him of these demons... And then the man begs Jesus, begs Jesus to let him come with him. Let me come with you, Jesus. Let me follow you and come with you. And Jesus tells him, no. Mark chapter 5, verse 19. He did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus had something bigger for Legion, whatever his real name was, to, to do. He needed him, he wanted him to go. Verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. To our knowledge, Jesus had one witness in the Decapolis. One. And a few months later, 10,000, 12,000 4,000 men plus women and children showed up to hear Jesus teach for three days. One witness has that impact. He was the witness and thousands came to hear the truth. The, the, the shepherds were witnesses, in my opinion, carefully chosen, well-trained, perfectly um, precise witnesses for who Jesus was and what He was intended to be. The shepherds were the perfect people to witness this moment. Just as we are the perfect people to share the witness of whatever story God has given us. He gave it to us to share it. We had several men give testimonies during the men's retreat. Some were extraordinary in the way they 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 were shared of the experiences and even the traumas and terrors that these men had faced in their lifetime. And to see that God had redeemed that, that is a witness. Verse 19, we get this beautiful, intimate insight into this new young mother. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things. Pondering them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising god For all they had heard and seen as it been told them Keep in mind mary had not probably seen an angel for several months It had been months since gabriel came and talked with her Do you think she had felt alone maybe abandoned maybe even forsaken like where is god? He's not sending more angels i'm i'm now having to go through all the challenges of of the shame and the And the hardships of being this young mother especially out of wedlock and what all this means and yet here she is, and all of a sudden these shepherds show up and say, you won't believe it, but a bunch of angels came to tell us that this baby you just laid in a manger is Christ the Lord, the Savior of mankind. I often wonder here, did, did Mary tell Luke, I treasured all these things in my heart? Or when Luke is sitting across from a little table from her and taking notes on her words, does he see in her eyes that she treasured all these things in her heart? I don't, I don't know. For all the fascination of this story, it is clearly God's story. We would have put, if it was us writing this story, nowadays especially, we would have put a whole bunch more Prince Ali, fabulous he, into, into this story. There would have been a lot more singing monkeys in, in the story than they have here. With the exception of a host of angels and a few shepherds, it's a pretty mundane. And what I would love to do is to invite you, yes, in this normal everyday Sunday way, but to invite you into this nativity story as well. If you will, stand. And and I want you to hear, to come and see, mankind needs a Savior. Mankind needs a, a, a Messiah. Mankind needs a Lord. And by mankind, I mean you. And I mean me. We need a Savior. We need rescuing, and we need a Messiah. We need an anointed one to do it, and we need a Lord. Our lives need to be submitted to someone other than us. Again, if you don't know that yet, it's time to hear it. Do you know Him? He loves you, and He calls you, and He's chosen you, and He's given you this message, if not any other time before, probably many times before today, I love to study His Word. I love to dig into His Word. But sometimes I wonder, do I love Him the way I should? Um, With the men, uh, Pastor John was sharing with us this, reminding us from John 15 about abiding. It's so easy for us to become about the things of God that we forget to engage with God. Do I know Him through the power of His Word and the power of His Spirit? Or do I just know about Him? It's got to be the evangelical curse to know about God, but sometimes fail to get to know Him That is to reveal that he is real and true. In the same way and even more so than Caesar Augustus is real or Quirinius is real or Luke is real or the shepherds are real. Almighty God is real. He's not just a theology, not just a religion, a real being who has existed before time and space, who created all things. And I want you to get to know him more. And I want to know him more. So... If you don't know that Savior, I hope you'll come and let us talk with you about that and pray with you about that this morning or with someone around you that you would have that conversation with them maybe over lunch today. Um, if, you, if you need to pray about anything, in fact, we would love to talk with you, pray with you about anything at all up here, either up here in the front or in the corner. And then, of course, if you're ready to join um, our family. and we, we, we describe ourselves as a dysfunctional family Listen, we know that many people have been badly churched. Uh, Many people have been traumatically churched or even unchurched. And you need to know that there's a place where we recognize we are broken too. And so when we refer to ourselves as dysfunctional family, we don't mean that we're some some kind of toxic, abusive group of people um, that we're going to hang out with you. That's what we're admitting is we are flawed and we are broken. And you probably are too. And this is a place where you can find a home. And so if you've been through our Welcome Home process and you're ready to come and join that family, we'd love for you to come up and let us know about that this morning. Let me wrap up with these messages from the Apostle Paul to his student Timothy, his son in the faith. From 1 Timothy chapter 1, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, and invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.